Hello and welcome once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. What does God need with a starship? A famous line from a famously bad Star Trek movie, but there are many who think something similar when the church talks about money. And those who ask this question are right. God doesn't need a starship or money. It's us who need to give. Teaching team member David McNeely continues the series Dying to Give with this message entitled Whose Money Is It? which covers Malachi chapter 3 verses 6 through 12. Thank you for joining us today. Father, we ask that, that would indeed be the posture of our hearts and so um, Holy Spirit, we're asking that you would do a work in the depths of our souls um, today that we really would have um, that posture of our heart, open hands. Uh, everything that we have, own, possess, etc., um, is yours. We know that in our minds. Lord, I pray you would convince us in our hearts um, that would cause our hands to open up. So, Lord, today, if there's anything I'm going to share that's not from you, then just allow it to pass in one ear and out the other. Uh, never again to be remembered and always forgotten. But, Lord, whatever is from you, what is your truth, I pray, Holy Spirit, you would teach. Thank you that your word never returns void. So you do a work in the depths of our souls so that we would become doers of your word rather than just hearers only. We love you. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. We started a sermon series last week and Jeff kicked us off in this sermon series that's entitled Dying to Give. It's got two hands that are moving down. One is red, one is gold. And it's a double meaning there obviously for us. I hate to over explain this, but but I want to. (laughs) That we are in a position that we are dying, that we are dying to self, that it's not about just simply what I want anymore. It's about giving up what it is that I want so that I can join in on what it is that God has planned and mapped out. No to my desires so I can say yes to his desires. No to my dreams so I can say yes to his dreams. And believing that in the process, when I do die, that there's something that is resurrected up inside of me. It is God himself. It is the living Lord who takes over, who forms and fashions and directs my heart in such a manner that I'm actually longing for, desiring what it is that he wants as opposed to just what I want. So I'm dying to myself to, so that I might give to others, but I'm also dying, meaning I cannot wait. That as God conforms, molds, change, I am begging for and looking for opportunities to give. Now, I know when I say that some of you today are already in that position. You are already at a place in your spiritual pilgrimage, not true of you 100% of the day, I'm not saying that, certainly not to perfection, but there is this genuine desire. You really are dying to give. Many of us would be in the position I am in. The natural inclination of my heart actually is to believe the lie that everything that I have belongs all to me. I tend to hold on to things with, with my hands more dearly and more tightly so I have the, the finances that I see as my finances. It's my wife. They're my children. It's my home. It's my car. It's my career. It's my talent. And I tend to hold it right here. The natural inclination of my heart is to believe the lie. That everything that I have belongs all to me. And then I read the scriptures. 
And the Holy Spirit goes to work on my heart and he begins to pry those fingers and he says, David, it has never been yours. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. All I want you to do is to acknowledge the truth and live in light of that fact. Truly, my daughter that I placed into your care so that you might steward her heart well. It's my children that I sovereignly brought along to you that you might train them in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. It's my church. It's my career. It's actually my talent that I put inside of you. Very little, but talent there. David, live here as opposed to here. But here's the question. The question that poses every single one of us is, if I live in this manner, is it really worth it? Will it be worth it to live a life that is truly open with everything that I have, with all that I am, that it all belongs to him? Will God actually steward well what it is that I am entrusting to him? That's the question that we all wrestle with. It was Elijah when he came upon the mountain. Choose you this day. How long will you go wavering between two opinions? Not much had changed by the time we got to the scene where we will be. I'll read you in just a few moments. Jeff, I thought, started us off so well looking at the heart of the issue. And he gave this statement last week. Treasure in Christ involves trusting him. And trusting him involves surrendering to him. And surrendering to him involves every part of our lives, including our money. This week, I want to sit on just really a couple of simple truths. I sent an outline. I had it all prepared. It's an exegetical outline, meaning here's how we can walk through this passage in Malachi. I decided that I didn't want us to get lost in the notes this particular morning, so it will be available to you online later on. If you want to go and get that, you're welcome to do that. Today, just a couple of simple truths, though, for us to sit on. This week right here is all about this. God doesn't need his money back. But he does ask for it back. God has never needed finances from his people. He has never needed talent from his people. He has never needed anything from his people ever at any moment in all of human history. So this morning, if you think I'm going to go down a road, I'm just going to say, you know, if you don't give, then the kingdom of God is not really going to survive. And so it really is up to us to make sure, because God's in heaven, and he's saying, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? The money is running low at this point. The talent pool is not growing. I don't know what's going on. Please, people, help me. God's not doing that. God will continue to build his kingdom. He made a promise. I will build my church and not even the gates of Hades will be able to prevent it. The church is an offensive battering ram that will move forward. So in this sense, God does not need your money. The kingdom does not need your money. God will do it. He will accomplish it in his time, in his way. It is a guarantee, however. It does not mean that specific churches will survive without giving. The kingdom will march on. But if everyone today heard this and said, great, the kingdom's moving forward, therefore we will not give anymore, then Perimeter Church will fold. And the Lord will raise up somebody else. 
around this same time that was happening where Malachi was, there was a woman on the scene named Esther. She was brought to power as a queen because of her beauty specifically, her external physical beauty was the human reason why she was placed as the queen. Now, God had other reasons. He happened to use that. He happened to leverage that. He happened to form and fashion her in her mother's womb years ago, knowing that he would create this magnificently beautiful creature so that she might arrive at this particular place. But then Mordecai made a statement to her. And who knows, Esther, that maybe you have come to royalty for such a time as this. But in that conversation, he said to her, if you don't speak up, God will raise somebody else to deliver his people. You'll perish, but his kingdom will move forward. Same thought for us. You don't have to give anything. And if you don't, perimeter will die. But God's kingdom will move on. That last little bit of information before we get into the text. A woman who lived a a wonderful life years ago, died uh, many, many years ago, devoted much of her life to children who were caught in human trafficking, abused and neglected. And she brought them in in mass numbers and invested into them. She would rescue kids by oftentimes dyeing her skin and making it appear as though she were of a different race so that she could blend in and meet with these children. Her name is Amy Carmichael. An extraordinary life that God used in great ways. She made a statement that has stuck with me. She said, one can give without loving, but one cannot love without giving. Jesus to the Pharisees said, their hearts are far from me. They, they worship me, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Today, you're going to get some information about a specific way to get some of the mechanics about how to give. And you can give without loving. And the Lord will still use it. But you cannot love without giving something. Can't love your children without giving something to them. Time, energy, counsel, advice, your presence, etc. Can't love your spouse without giving to them. You can't love a friend without giving to them. You can't love a cousin, an employer, or an employee. You can't love an organization. You can't even love your beloved football team without giving something. When Moses led the people out of the land of slavery, they were led well. Joshua then took his place. After that, you have a series of judges. After those judges then come three kings who led a united kingdom. When Solomon left the throne, the kingdom divided into a northern and a southern kingdom, and the northern kingdom never followed after God. They never had a king that ever trusted the Lord. The southern kingdom had a few that did that. So in 722 BC, the Assyrians take over the northern kingdom, and they are no longer Israel, as we would know it, is no longer. Judah, however, remained. Judah remained faithful for a little while until 586 B.C. Nebuchadnezzar took over, destroyed the temple, and put the people into captivity. In 539, Cyrus takes over the Babylonians. 
And just a few years after that, he decided to give an edict in which everyone that was under his reign and rule could go back to their place and continue in their religious services, live their particular lifestyle. They just were taxed heavily and other things of that nature, but they could go back to their practices. So not long after that, the temple construction begins again. That which Nebuchadnezzar had destroyed, the temple begins to be built again. And somewhere around 515 BC, the temple is completed and the people are able to bring sacrifices once again to the Lord. Now, during this time, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Haggai, Zechariah, others are on the scene, but Malachi is running perhaps as the last one on the scene before we hit the period of silence. And Malachi is writing about some of the same things that Nehemiah and the others were looking at. See, although the people were in a place where there was no external conflict, there was no wars that they had to fight, they were living in some ways under oppression, meaning that they were taxed very heavily, and the people of God were poor and destitute. And so they made a decision. The decision is we will no longer continue to give to the Lord in the way that he had specifically prescribed for them to give. And so they were withholding money. And one of the consequences of that was that the people who were set aside by God to devote themselves to the ministry of the Lord, to praying for the people, to equipping the people, to offering sacrifices, etc., these people had to go and get other jobs in order to provide for their families. And the word of the Lord came to Malachi, and he said, go and speak to my people. So he brings six arguments against them. And right here in Malachi chapter 3 is the fifth of these arguments. If you want to know what the heart of the book is behind Malachi, it's going to come in the first two verses. Verses 6 and verses 7 of Malachi 3 says this. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Now, as we were sitting and, and talking, the, the Bob and Jeff and, and I were sitting and talking, we were thinking about this particular series, and it's one of those moments where you're looking around and you say, who's going to take the week on tithing? And you've been there in a business meeting yourself or some other type of meeting with other parents or whatever it may be, and, and everyone looks down. Don't look up, no eye contact, no eye contact. Uh, Bob's been here the longest. It probably should be Bob. Bob's been here. People like Bob. It's, it's Jeff. You're the rookie. You could say some things. I don't know. And it fell to me. And so I did my homework and began to prepare and understood, uh, I think, a way that can very simply be explained what it is that God desires from us in this day and age. And the more I began to prepare, the more excited I began to get. I'm going to share some things at the end of this sermon that that you could take as sounding as self-serving. I promise you to the best of my ability to discern my heart after prayerful consideration, I can tell you that that is not my intent. I know some of you are here new, you have no idea who I am, all you know is I'm not Randy Pope. My desire is just simply to share, to illustrate, to say thanks from my vantage point, my viewpoint, I can only share my story best. They did a wonderful job on the screen of sharing their story. 
I can only share mine. So at the end, I, I want to say, job well done, perimeter. And it, it could sound self-serving. It's not. It, it's in the text. Now, in all that preparation, I started to skip over verses 6 and 7 so I could really get into the meat of it. And then the Holy Spirit just came, this is the heart of the book. I, the Lord, do not change. I am the same yesterday and today and forever. You are fickle. I am constant. You sin. I do not. I have every right to wipe you out, to move you out of my presence forever. But I'm telling you, if you simply will return, I will return to you. I don't know where you may be today. You may be coming in here today with a heavy, heavy heart, a guilty conscience. I want you to hear this loudly and clearly. It's not really about the woman that you were just with who's not your wife. Yes, in some ways you left your wife pursuing somebody else that you thought might provide for you the satisfaction that your soul is longing for, but it's not really about her. You left the Lord. It's not really about the money that you just took from your company. I know you thought it was small. Wouldn't be that big of a deal to others, but it wasn't really about taking money from that company. It's about the fact that you left the Lord thinking that you had to do something else in order for you to get what it is that you needed. You just cheated on the exam. It's not really about the cheating. It's about the fact that you just left the Lord the protection of him, the confines of him. You thought that you had to do something outside of his will in order to advance and move forward. You fill in the blank with whatever it is for you. It's not really about that. You left the Lord. And this is what the Lord says. Return to me. I will return to you. Come back once again into the presence of that old rugged cross. Bow the knee of submission before him. Throw the hands up and surrender. Confess with your mouth the need that you have for the cleansing work of Jesus. Cast all your anxiety upon him for he cares for you. Believe that he alone can not only cover your sin with his work, but also enable you to do that which is righteous and good. Return to me. I will return to you. See, if you hear nothing else this morning, God wants to walk with you. But you say, how shall we return? Will man rob God, yet you are robbing me? But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions, you are cursed with a curse for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. The first thing he tells the people is that they are robbing God. Now, in some ways, that's a little bit silly. How are we actually going to rob God? Years ago, I had some money taken from me on Marta. 
While I was headed towards an Atlanta Braves baseball game, the scenario, I won't get into it, but, but at the end of the day, uh, I, I had to turn over my wallet and hand all of that massive wad of cash that I had, $4. <laughs> now, what went on in my heart and my soul was, I was just angered, I was incensed that they would, would pick on this little intern and take away his $4 he was saving for a hot dog. How can you take my money? See, what happened was they took something from me that I just simply couldn't replace at that time. That's kind of what robbing is, isn't it? How do we rob from God? Is there ever a time in which we take something from him in which he loses anything? He owns a cattle on a thousand hills. It doesn't really matter what we withhold from him. He continues to have. There's nothing we can really truly rob from God. What he means by this, though, is this. I have set it up so that you can come and trust me, give to me, because I'm going to disperse it in ways that people have needs. You're not giving to me. God, I don't think, gets angry in the same way that I get angry. Is he angry over sin? Oh, absolutely. Sin absolutely angers him, but I think what goes on in the heart of God more, rather than some punk on Mars that got a couple of bucks taken away from him, I think what goes on in the heart of God is that he hurts for his kids. In essence, what he's saying, you're taking from me and you have no idea how much it's hurting you. Because he doesn't need, but he does ask. Look at the next passage. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need, I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. You failed to bring in the tithes and the offerings, but now what is this? But what I want you to do is to come, bring them back again, put them back into my storehouse and then amazing, amazing things are gonna happen. The first thing they were doing was robbing God of that which is rightfully his. They were not returning unto God a portion of that which he had entrusted to them, but they were also robbing themselves. They were robbing themselves of receiving blessing of untold measures upon them. Now, what is a tithe? A tithe just simply is a tenth. It shows up all the way back in Genesis when Abraham comes along and this mysterious character named Melchizedek shows up and Abraham gives him a tenth of that. Then the Lord commands Moses to give a command to the people, or informs Moses rather, command the people to give a tenth of what they have back unto me. And the tenth was not just only uh, that amount, it was not just one tenth, there were actually other taxes that were involved in the process. So the government of the people was also assisting and helping and contributing in this process. But bring a tenth and hand it before me, and then what the Lord would do then is he would take that and he would call men into service of him. 
and he would set them aside so that they might be wholly and fully devoted, undistracted. It doesn't mean that they're better people or even more godly. It means that their time, effort, devotion, passion, energy was to be given specifically towards the Lord's service. Don't be distracted, if you will, by having to go and provide for your family outside of this particular work. Same principle holds true to this day. So when people give to Perimeter Church, Perimeter Church then takes that they're giving to the Lord. The Lord takes that money and he tells his pastors, I want you to devote yourselves full time to equipping the saints for ministry. Now let me ask you this real quick. How do you put a value on what it is that your ministry staff is doing? All those years in youth ministry, and there were times in which I would come alongside of parents. They would have children that would be struggling with drugs and alcohol in their life. And the parents loved their kids well. They um, invested in them well. They just didn't have the, schools, uh, the skills and, and the tools that were necessary to help navigate their kids there. And so I would come alongside of them, that being a part of my background and training, come alongside, help them walk through this. And oftentimes a kid would come to repentance and begin walking with the Lord again. Now let me ask you, that: how do you put a price tag on that? You don't, and neither do I. I don't look at it and say, well, you know, this service right here was worth this amount of money and so I could provide that. And, you know, how do you put a value on Randy's faithful preaching and teaching week after week, month after month, year after year, so that truth is being poured over our minds and our, how do you put a price tag on that? You don't, and neither does he. And so you're not paying for a service to be rendered unto you. You're saying, we want to take care of you and your family so that you don't get distracted by having to work outside of here. You can devote yourself fully and wholly to equipping us. The people were not doing it. And God says, bring it back in. When you bring that into me, let me tell you what I'm going to do for you. I am going to open up heaven. I am going to rain down, shower down upon you blessings that you can't even fathom right now. And I'm actually going to cause the land not to have so much, not to be spoiled. There's going to be fruitfulness that's going to come up. Here's what I think he's telling us is that when we trust him, when we take closed hands and we trust him and give a tenth of what it is that we have over to the Lord, knowing we're giving it to deeply flawed people, When we entrust that to him, God opens up and he says, I know you didn't know how this was going to happen. I I know you didn't know how you're going to be provided for and cared for. It's going to happen in supernatural ways, blessings coming down from heaven. And some of those blessings will be materially. But I think what he's getting at even more is that there are blessings that will come from God that money cannot touch. Peace. Peace. Joy, contentment, godliness, obedience, fruit. I can't cause it to rain. I can't get a rain dance. But I do know that when I do this, according to the scriptures, it seems to trigger something. Not my initiating God. I'm not twisting God's arm here. And then God begins to pour out blessings on me. Are you experiencing his blessing?
or this. Stress or peace. Control. Blessing. Several years ago, my kids had some things that they really desired. I knew that specifically because my wife told me exactly what they were they desired. I barely know all of my children's names. Judith knows each of their needs. So we have some jobs that we can work and and so everything outside the house they can earn a little bit of money from, everything inside the house is just a part of helping out in the process. Because you live here, you're gonna sweep. Outside they were able to do some chores to earn some money and I asked them, I said, guys, I got something better for you. If you'll hand me half of that, I'm gonna give you something better in return. Now for each of them, the cost of this was somewhere in the neighborhood of $120 per kid. It was $10 that they had. If you'll just give me half that, I'm gonna give you something better. Not a single kid took me up on it. Now what was my response and reaction as a father? I berated him. I belittled him. I made him feel like, it. no, of course not. I didn't do that. What was going on in my heart was, oh, if you guys would just trust me. I would bless you beyond your comprehension right now. But they just simply couldn't let go. They were robbing God. They were robbing themselves. But then lastly, I think they were also robbing others. Verse 12, then all the nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. Because they were not bringing this money in, they were not able to be a blessing to the whole world that is around them. All the way back in Genesis chapter 12, he, God is talking, is it 11? It's tw- I can't remember. It's one of those two chapters in there. God is talking to Abraham. He says, I'm going to make you into a great nation and you are going to be a blessing. This nation is going to bless the whole world. See, the point is, don't hang on to that which you personally can earn and develop. Actually open it up like this, that I might rain down upon you things that you can't ask or imagine for. Ways that I would bless you so that you might in turn give that away to others. It's never intended that we might simply be blessed so that we might be blessed. It's always so that we might bless others. We follow in the same way of Jesus who did not come to be served, but rather served and actually gave his life as a ransom for many. I want to pour out that on you so that the whole world will look around and see your blessing and you might bless them. They were robbing God. They were robbing themselves and they were robbing others. And all along, God says, just return to me. I know you blew it last year and the year before that and the year before that and the year before that. Just trust me. Come back to me. This is the passage. This is, in essence, what it's saying. Now, in today's day and age, it'd be very difficult to get specifically from the New Testament that we remain under this tithe. I think the thrust of the New Testament actually is that the tithe becomes the minimal, that the 10% becomes the minimum there. You're going to be hard-pressed again to say that the 10% is what we're held to, 
But I think the general direction of the scriptures in the New Testament is that all of everything that we have belongs not to us, but it belongs to God, and we give freely. So the 10% really would be a starting point in the New Testament. There's the tithes, and there's the offerings. I have just one point of application for you here. When you give to the church, you're going to accomplish three things. Number one, you're going to honor God by writing a check or by doing it online or whatever your preferred method may be, by entrusting to God that a portion of that which he has given to you, you're in essence saying, hey, I'm not sure I trust every one of those people at that church, but God, I trust you and someone will give it to you. And you are honoring God himself by giving to that. You're also supporting God's mission. The mission that God has to take this gospel message all throughout the earth. I can say this with a clear conscience and with great enthusiasm. I love what the leadership of this church does. Men far wiser than me who set budgets, who, who, who give us a direction, a, a large percentage of the budget from perimeter, much larger than any other church I've ever heard, takes money and spends it outside of these walls. And people are benefiting. People are blessed who will never darken the doors of the perimeter. I love being a part of this church as a result of that. But finally, and this is where I close, you honor God, you support his mission, but you uphold his very people. And I am one of those in which you, church, have upheld. Because many of you have said, God, I'm going to choose to trust you. I'm going to give with an open hand to you, Lord. You have allowed my family to reside here in Atlanta, to be a part of this church. And I get the joy and the privilege of being able to preach to you. I get the joy and privilege of being able to counsel some of you. When I was an intern back in 19. 94, coming here, we had a particular medical issue in the second year of our marriage that came up that far exceeded anything that I could pay for. And you gave. And you allowed us to get some specific medical treatment that my wife and I both will tell you saved not just our marriage, but our very lives. And I came back in 2003, I came back with these two little twins these little critters were added into our home through adoption. We knew that that was the way God was calling us to grow our family. It was the only option we had to grow our family. And the first adoption we had, we took out a loan from the bank. Our faith was not yet at the place where we believed God was going to provide where he was calling for us. We were weak there, and the Lord met us, and he provided in arrears after that. See, when you found out that these children were adopted, you asked if you could help. And we wanted to keep going and add more children into the mix. We sensed that God was calling us to have a large family, a loud and obnoxious family. <laughs> and you came and said, how can we help? The Lord hasn't called me specifically, David, to bring him into my home, but I know he's called you and I, I want to help. And so you gave and so our family could grow. When I had some very specific medical issues for a couple of my children, and had an opportunity to work at the brain level to develop things. They were struggling greatly. 
We just sent out a few short letters to some people in this church to go above your tithes. And would you join us in helping to get them some attention that would be desperately needed? It was far past my yearly salary what was required for them. And you gave. And the Lord did amazing work in their minds, and and we weren't sure they would even make it to the grade they are today. And next year, they'll be going to the next grade. And when my wife has had some significant medical issues, you have helped. And I could go on and on and on and on. But I want you to hear me. Right now, I don't need your money. Right now, what I want so desperately for you for you that are not presently giving. I want you to experience what it is that those who are giving experience on such a regular basis. That as they gave to us and we were able to give them updates of how things were going, that the joy, the contentment, what was going on in their souls, many of you who give will breathe your last in the next 15 to 20 years. And you will make your way up into heaven and the Father will ask you, why should I let you into my kingdom? And you'll answer, oh, it has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with your son who died in my place, who did for me what I could never do for myself. His righteousness credited to me. That's why I get to come into your kingdom. And he'll say, absolutely. And then he's going to bring up to you the way that you handled your money at perimeter. And he might even talk to you about the McNeely's. And he's going to look at you, those of you who have given And he's going to say, well done, my good and faithful servants. Enter now into the joy of the Lord. And the joy and contentment and peace that you have experienced on the earth will be magnified greatly. And my hope, my deep-seated prayer for any of you who are not presently giving is that you will be able to experience that. Thank you for being you. And thank you for letting me be me. Heavenly Father, thank you for what it is that you have done on our behalf. Father, thank you that you sent your son to actually die for us. You're telling us just to die to our desires and hopes and dreams and to our very selves die to our ability to impress you. But Jesus, you actually died on our behalf. So to you goes all of the glory, all of the honor, all of the credit. I pray, Lord, that again, whatever is untrue that was spoken here today is gone. But Holy Spirit, what you desire to remain, I pray you would keep it. We love you. We are thankful for you. We pray all this in the matchless name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and find other messages from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.